You are Locked On Mets, your daily New York Mets podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello to all you amazing Mets fans. You're listening to Locked On Mets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Locked On Mets is free and available on all platforms, including YouTube. On today's show, we have another series victory to discuss as the New York Mets were able to win the second game of their doubleheader against the Phillies. Thanks to Chris Bassett delivering another gem of a pitching performance, and Pete Alonzo getting hot with two home runs and five RBIs. In the first segment, I want to talk about Pete, compare his start this year to the first 30 games he played last year, and really what we could see from him moving forward, and also talk about that doubleheader as a whole. In the second segment, I'm going to focus in on Chris Bassett and his pitching performance and what we've seen from him in the early goings this season. And then I want to close the show today with a topic that will surprise my longtime listeners. I'm going to advocate for J.D. Davis to get more playing time over Dominic Smith. Uh, you look at their splits throughout their, their careers with the Mets. They both have reverse splits. A platoon makes no sense with these guys in it. And J.D. has been the better hitter. So if you're talking about D.H. at bats, that is why I'm going to argue today why J.D. should maybe get a little more run and than he's getting currently. Before we get to any of that, though, I'm your host, Ryan Fickelstein. If you want to find any of my work, follow me on Twitter, at FinkelsteinRyan. You can also follow the show at Locked On Mets, and find some of my writing at JustBaseball.com, where I work as the managing editor. Now, the Mets had a couple of days off, which honestly, in my opinion, was very nice. Honestly, I enjoyed it. I did, you know. You had the thrilling comeback victory on Thursday. Of course, I missed my Mets baseball, but if there was ever a time to have two games rained out and to just not have anything to react to for 48 hours, it was coming off the heels of that game on Thursday where we all just got to bask in it for a while, where Phillies fans just got to remain miserable for days before they finally saw a victory in game one of this doubleheader against the Mets. And hats off to them for getting a game. And they did a great job. Some really good hitting against Max Scherzer and Gibson pitched really well for them. And credit to the Phillies for finding a way to get one. But when you have Max Scherzer and Chris Bassett, and you're able to go with that combination in a doubleheader, The Mets are hard to beat. They're really hard to beat. And Chris Bassett said it after the games. He said, look, we got five quality starting pitchers, and that's relentless on other teams. And that's exactly why the Mets have been able to stack wins on wins on wins, win series after series after series. The only series up to this point they have not won was that four-game set against the Braves that they split. And I know you could say, look at the Braves record. They haven't been great this year, but we know the Braves are a really good team. I still... Uh, stand by my statement from last week, which I believe came in the cell phone lot of the LaGuardia Airport, where I basically said that the the Braves are the second best team the Mets have played this year behind only the Giants. And and even though the Cardinals uh, maybe have a better record, I still stand by that. So this Mets team has handled business all year long. And, you know, we can go through that first game. Max Scherzer wasn't great, but honestly, it was a lot of soft contact. The one loud hit was Bryce Harper hitting a home run in the first inning. Those two former teammates, I think, have a good rivalry going back and forth um, You know, in these matchups. Not that their personalities clash, 
but more just I think they know each other very well. So that's always a fun battle to see. And, you know, Harper got the best of him in this game. He also had an RBI single in the third inning, uh, which was an inning where Scherzer gave up three hits. He gave it three hits again in the fourth, and Bryson Stock got the RBI hit. He gave up 10 hits overall, but again, a lot of soft contact. It never felt like Scherzer um, was out of control of this game, that he didn't uh, you know, have a, a handle on it. And when he went back out to pitch that sixth inning, I think he was at 91 pitches heading into that last inning. You know, he was able to to throw up another zero and give his team a chance. And unfortunately, the Mets just weren't able to get enough hits to string together that win. And you look at the the first six innings, they hit into three double plays. One of them um, really did hurt a rally. Uh, They scored a run on that double play. I believe James McCann hit it. Um, But that was in the sixth inning where the Mets actually did have four hits in that inning and really strung some things together. Francisco Lindor had an RBI double. But the Mets only scored two there. If not for that double play, maybe Lindor's double scores another run. Also, Lindor's double, I mean, looked like a homer off the bat. It just went right into uh, a jet stream going in the wrong direction when it came to the wind. And it just held up there and hit the base of the wall. If that goes out, who knows? Maybe the Mets end up sweeping this series. But it's a game of inches either way. And the Phillies ended up doing what they had to do. Their bullpen pitched very well. There, there was a real threat in the seventh inning where I thought the Phillies were going to blow it again and the Mets were going to pull ahead. And that was when Sir Anthony Dominguez walked the first two batters of that inning. But there was a mound visit that seemed to settle him down. And whatever that pitching coach told him, it got him back on track. And then he looked dominant. He struck out Dominic Smith. He struck out Starling Marte. Uh, Louis Guillaume had a good at bat, worked a full count, but just ends up striking out as well. He gets out of that inning. The Mets only had one more base runner for the rest of the game. Brandon Nimmo walked, but they just were not able to to get enough hits going in that game. They only score the two runs and they lose it. But then in game two, Pete Alonso hits two home runs, has five RBIs. The Mets score six runs. Chris Bassett is excellent. And guess what? They win the series. And that's all that matters. And you look up now and, and through 30 games played, they're 20 and 10. They have a six game lead over the Braves and the Marlins who are both tied in second place, and a seven-game lead over the Phillies, 10 games ahead of the Nationals, who they will play next. And I do want to spend a minute before I move on to talk about Chris Bassett in the next segment to just touch on what Pete Alonso has done this year because you look at the season he's had this year, and I think it is very comparable to what he did in 2021. Through 30 games last year, Alonso hit 252 with a 357 on base, 458 slugging, five home runs, 17 RBIs, a 126 WRC+. plus. He would go on to hit 32 more home runs over the final 123 games. And he only had seven home runs in the first two months, then hit 30 over the final four months. So I think we're seeing a little bit of a slow start from Pete again, where as it gets a little bit warmer, the ball starts to fly a little bit more. He gets a little bit more in his rhythm. We'll see him homer in bunches more. And this was maybe the first taste of that with the two home run game. You look at his stats through 30 games this year after this outing at 276 average, 333 on base, 500 slugging, seven home runs, and 26 RBIs. Interesting that he got on base more last year, slugged a little bit more through 30 games this year, but has the additional nine RBIs. That's a function of the Mets being a better team. And with that, he has the most RBIs of any hitter in the National League and is just behind Jose Ramirez, who has 30 for the Guardians uh, for the MLB lead. So Pete Alonso, I think we're going to see more RBIs, more home runs, more production over the coming months. And I think this was maybe the first little taste of that. What we know is regardless of a a deadened baseball, when Pete Alonso gets a hold of one, it's going to go no matter what. So with that said, 
I think that the best is still yet to come there. And this was the type of day I think he needed going into the series. I talked about the prospect of Pete Alonso getting the power going in that ballpark. Now, hopefully he can carry that over and we see a better version of Pete through the remainder of this month leading into those final four months of the season. Uh, you know, last year he had 37 home runs. I'd be shocked if he didn't hit over 40 this year. I really would. And if he does that on this team as a key cog in a really good lineup, the RBIs are going to come. And my prediction of him leading the league in RBIs is still very much on the table. Although if I was talking major leaguely, the way Jose Ramirez is playing, um, it's going to be stiff competition. But I think as far as the National League goes right now, he's in first without playing his best brand of baseball. And that just tells you how talented he is and how talented this team is. But speaking of talent, Chris Bassett has been a revelation for this Mets team. I want to break down and start a little bit more in just a minute. But first, betonline.net is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. Find out the latest sports developments, league reviews, and news, including this year's basketball playoffs and the start of the Major League Baseball season. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sports wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in the action. Bet online where the game starts. So if we look at Chris Bassett's performance in the first inning, he strikes out Kyle Schwarber to lead off the game. Then he gives up a hit to Alec Bohm, gets Bryce Harper to pop up, and then gives up another hit to Nick Castellanos, so some early trouble. He then balks to put two runners in scoring position. Falls behind 3-0 to Reese Hoskins, and this is the at-bat that I really want to focus on. The way that Bassett can sequence his pitches, he has so many different weapons. And with Hoskins in that spot, having first base open, he throws a, a fastball just outside, just outside. Could have been called a ball. Hoskins is on first, base is loaded. That's a walk that he chooses to, to, to throw there. But he gets the call. So, all right. Now he's sitting pretty comfortable. So now what does he do? He throws the exact same location, hard stuff again, but this time a sinker. And what happens? He's able to miss Hoskins' bat just enough. He fouls it off. Now he's got two strikes on him. Okay, so what does he do? After working low with the hard stuff there and keeping everything on the outside, knowing that he's got a little bit of a free swinger, he just changes the eye level, but works on that same part of the plate, hits him with a 96-mile-per-hour four-seam fastball. Hoskins swings right through it. Big strikeout. You get out of that tough spot. It's little at-bats like that where this guy has so many different weapons to choose from. You really look at his arsenal, and it's six pitches, but he's got different variations of the pitches. So, so I'm not even convinced that he doesn't have 10 different ways that he can throw all these pitches to really just mix up eye level, inside, outside, speed. And with those six different pitches that are broken down by baseball savant, you got the three hard pitches, the sinker, the cutter, and the four-seam fastball, which are all ranging between 92 and 96 miles per hour with different degrees of movement to change up that look for the hitter. When they're seeing something hard coming in, it can break a different way with the sinker, with the cutter, or it could not break at all with that four-seam fastball that really jumps on guys and can get some swing and miss. He'll rely on the sinker more than anything else because that helps induce that weak contact, get his ground balls. But he has those other offerings to really mix things up. Then he has the three soft pitches with the slider, 
the changeup and the curve. And, you know, we did a big breakdown last week on Tyler McGill. You look at Bassett, the slider and the changeup, you know, it's similar pitches, similar speeds. And then this curveball he has is maybe the nastiest pitch of the bunch. He doesn't even throw that often, but he can just drop that in there and get a strike with it. A pitch that comes in at 72 miles per hour that just completely takes the, the batter by surprise. Um, he can throw that pitch. He can bury it, get strikeouts that way. So I, I love what he's done this season. Uh, you look at at this start a little bit further, you know, past that strikeout. He gives up a homer to Gene Segura in the second inning, but then retires the next three. In the third, runs into some trouble. Kyle Schwarber got a hit. J.D. Davis then made an error, but he strikes out Bryce Harper. Nick Castellanos, granted, first pitch swinging, hit a rope to the outfield, but Starlin Marte was there, was able to make the running catch. And then he gets Reese Hoskins to pop out, and then he strands those two batters. And from there on, he retired the next eight. So it was 11 outs in a row by Chris Bassett uh, before he gave up a double in the uh, sixth inning to Reese Hoskins. Then he has Gene Segura up, a lefty warming up in the pen. And what does he do? He pitches very carefully around Segura, ends up walking him because first base was open. That was his one walk of the day. So he has pinpoint command. And when he walks a batter, a lot of times he's choosing to walk a batter. Not that he wants to put somebody on, but he's being careful in certain spots when it is smart to. So he's just a cerebral pitcher um, to, to close out this game pitching-wise. Chasen Shreve was able to get a big out to strand those runners he inherited from uh, Chris Bassett. Got four outs on the day, two strikeouts. Guy's been awesome. I, I love Jason Sharif. I love seeing him uh, continue to perform for this Mets team and continue to get um, some more responsibility and some more high leverage spots as well. Drew Smith pitched a perfect eighth, and then Seth Lugo worked around a hit in a scoreless ninth. So the bullpen was good once again. Uh, Chris Bassett now has his ERA at 2.45 for the season, 38 Ks and 36 and two thirds, but a 0.95 whip, and he's striking out over four batters to every walk. So a, a guy that is just doing a great job right now, mixing his pitches, finding a way uh, to, to game plan against these batters and to implement his game plan to great success. He's giving them that's length almost every time out. Um, and, and again, I, I mentioned it earlier, but I'll say it again. When you have five quality starting pitchers, as Bassett alluded to, you're going to be hard to beat. And, and that's what the Mets have right now. And, and with Carrasco and Bassett in particular, it's just these veterans that, can, can execute a game plan, and when they're both healthy and right, which they are right now, you're seeing that they're going to give your, tam, your team a chance to win. One last stat on Chris Bassett. Right now, and this is before this most recent start, he ranked in the 95th percentile uh, when it came to average exit velocity. So if you're inducing that much soft contact and the Mets have this defense behind you where you can have an infield that – has Francisco Lindor, sometimes Louis Guillorme and Jeff McNeil in there. Sometimes it says Eduardo Escobar and Jeff McNeil or Guillorme. Regardless, all good defenders across the board. Pete Alonso playing a great defensive first base as well. I have to mention him. And then in the outfield, having Starling Marte running down balls and right um, with Brandon Nimmo in center. And then Mark Canna, even though he's not this elite defensive outfielder, he is head and shoulders better then a lot of the left fielders the Mets have run out there over the last couple of years, whether it was Dominic Smith out in left, J.D. Davis. You look at Mark Canna out there, and he is just a, an actual outfielder. And that's the difference. Is Sometimes you've seen the Mets try to throw um, whoever it is out in the outfield. And a veteran, Jose Batista, at the end of his career, um, you know, 
Daniel Murphy, Lucas Duda. As I said, Davis and Dom. So to see an actual outfielder out there. And then when it's not Cannons, Jeff McNeil performs great in the outfit as well. So with good team defense, good starting pitching, that's how you get to this point where you're 20 and 10 and you have yet to lose a series. But I do want to talk about some areas where the Mets can improve. And right now, I think one of the very impressive things is the Mets have been able to get to this point in the season without really getting that production from your traditional DH. When Pete Alonso or Francisco Lindor is in that spot, the Mets have gotten good production. But when it's Ben Robinson Cano or Dominic Smith or J.D. Davis, overall, they have not seen that great stellar universal DH production that can take them over the top. And I think this is going to surprise my longtime listeners. I think it's time to give J.D. Davis some more run um, and see if he can be that impact bat for the Mets. I want to talk about that more in just a minute, but summer is coming. And with summer, you're going to need some food on the go. Built Bars are the perfect snack to take on your family vacations. Throw them in your bags, in your kids' backpacks. Make sure that everyone has a bar so you are fueled for your summer adventures. The best part about Built Bars, they're healthy and delicious. No more sacrificing delicious food for health. With Built Bars, you can have both, and it's easy. All you have to do is go to Built.com and order now. All Built Bars and Puffs are covered in 100% real chocolate. That means that with Built Bar, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. Have you tried the Built Bar Puffs yet, I should ask? Because those are the first ever protein-infused marshmallows that come in come covered in 100% real chocolate with delicious flavors like the banana cream pie and the churro. I mean, who wouldn't want a protein bar that tastes like a churro that comes with only 140 calories? If that's not enough flavor for you, you might want to try the mix box where you can get 12 different flavors of the bars and puffs and see which ones you like best. And you can find all of that at built.com where you can get your favorites with our promo code LOCK15 and get 15% off your next order. Again, that's promo code LOCK15 for 15% off at built.com. So coming into the day on Sunday, Dominic Smith was hitting 220 with a 310 on base and a 280 slugging percentage, good for an 84 WRC+. Plus. Again, for those of you who don't know, WRC plus is weighted runs created plus that measures hitters based on a league average of 100. So at an 84 WRC plus, he has been 16% worse than your average hitter. J.D. Davis hitting 222 coming into Sunday with a 364 on base, 361 slugging, a 125 WRC plus, 25% better than your league average hitter. Both of them are striking out and nearly 30% of their at-bats, but J.D. Davis is walking at 15.9% compared to Dom at 6.9%. So early in the season, JD has been statistically better. Now you look at who they've been since 2019. This is, of course, when the Mets acquired JD Davis and when Dominic Smith finally had his breakout. Since 2019, Davis has gotten 937 plate appearances, Dom 947. So damn near identical sample size. JD hitting 285, Dom 266. JD getting on base at a 372 clip, Dom 331. JD slugging at a 467 clip, Dom 445. JD 34 home runs, Dom 32. The one edge that Dom has is 134 RBIs to 102 uh, for Davis, but you look at the WRC plus, Davis at 130, 30% better than your league average hitter, Dom at 113. So you look at just 
those metrics in a near a thousand plate appearance sample, you have JD Davis being 17% better as an offensive player than Dominic Smith. You look at their strikeout rates, 25% for JD, 23 for Dom, but walk rates, JD takes his walks, which makes him a more valuable offensive player at 10.7% compared to Dom at 7.3. So you look at all that and you, if you've been listening to this show, are wondering why I have always been more on the Dominic Smith bandwagon. Maybe it's because he's a homegrown player. I'll I'll admit to it. Sometimes homegrown players just get a little bit of a longer leash and you want to see them do well. Whereas J.D. Davis represents uh, the, the worst era of Mets baseball in my fandom, at least recently, which was the Brody Van Wagenen disaster where you traded prospects to get J.D. Davis. Um, and, and you could have just kept Wilmer Flores. And Wilmer Flores... Uh, I would argue is still a better player than both of these guys, in my opinion. For, for the function of a roster, to have Wilmer Flores defensively with the versatility, not that he's a great defensive player, but he can play third, second, and first with at, at least um, without hurting you, right? Without really hurting you. It's not like he's Daniel Murphy at second. Uh, he, he's not that bad. And offensively, Wilmer Flores, I mean, you're seeing a renaissance over in San Francisco, let's look up his numbers this year real quick. I didn't have that before I started today, but I do want to just reiterate why I have been always against JD. And again, it's it's a homegrown bias. I love Wilmer Flores. The Mets non-tender him to make a trade to get this guy. And, and part of it is they gave up Blake Taylor. And I'll look up his stats as well while I'm at it. And Blake Taylor has been a functional reliever for the Astros ever since. You look at his career numbers as a reliever, uh, 2.64 ERA. Uh, you know, in 2020, he had a two point. Uh, actually, you know what? I'm mistaken on that. Blake Taylor was in the Marisnik trade, another bad trade from the Birdie Van Wagen era, but he started in 2020. So that's the Marisnik deal. Um, regardless, the point still stands when it comes to JD and flow. You know, look at flow this year. He's in 269, 340 on base, 419 slugging, a 123 WRC plus. He has three home runs. Uh, you know, he's just been a functional player that the Mets could have held on to um, just by paying him instead of having to trade prospects to get JD. But now that JD's a Met, now that Brody's gone, now that there's a DH, the arguments not to play him are starting to evaporate because the other thing is JD Davis is just an abysmal defensive third baseman. But Dominic Smith, you know, has been able to play a better outfield and can give you some value at first. So I have liked him um, over JD in a lot of spots. Now that we're talking about who should get DH at bats, you look at those numbers I already laid out for you, and it doesn't really make sense that Dom would get more playing time than JD or more at bats than JD. And here's the thing that really makes it all the more baffling. If we're talking about modern-day baseball and being a smart organization driven by analytics, all that good stuff, why is there still this obsession over left-right? That it, it just doesn't make sense to me. Look at the numbers, all right? Just look at the numbers. It's and You know what? Credit to Joely Rodriguez. He's doing a, gr- a great job recently. looks a lot better. That trade might not be as bad, but when we were discussing the Joely Rodriguez-Miguel Castro trade, we were saying, you look at the splits, and Castro's tough against lefties and righties. Joely has only been good against lefties. What's the idea behind that trade other than getting another guy that throws from the left side? It's very similar when you're talking about the splits on these two guys because right now, J.D. is almost exclusively getting starts against lefties, yet you look at his splits, he has reverse splits. Now, not drastic ones, but 
certainly of note because J.D. Davis against righties as a Met has a 134 WRC plus. Against lefties, it's 122. So he's supposed to mash left-handed pitching because he's a big right-handed bat, but really he has just as much, if not more, success against righties. Dom has reverse splits as well. A 128 WRC plus against lefties since 2019, a 107 against righties. So you're essentially taking two reverse split players and you have them in this platoon. And that doesn't make any sense when you really think about the numbers. And if you want to break it down that way, maybe Dom should play against lefties. And maybe JD shouldn't. And maybe JD should be playing against righties and Dom shouldn't. And that would give JD more at-bats. And he has been the better offensive player. As I say all of this, it still doesn't feel right to me. Because I root for Dominic Smith more than JD Davis. But as someone who's trying to give you some unbiased opinions here, based on you know stats and 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 real research, you look at at what these guys have done for the Mets since 2019 in a thousand plate appearance sample, and JD's been the better hitter, and he's definitely down a rung on the depth chart. Right now, I think the Mets are in a great spot where Buckshaw up there is mixing and matching. You know, you're seeing Louis Guillaume get a ton of playing time, and I love it. I absolutely love it because. Here's a player that you can put at second, short, or third. He's going to give you quality defense wherever you throw him. That's going to help you win more, in my opinion, than just having a little bit more of an offensive punch in the lineup. So if you were just to say who's going to start Giorme over Davis, I've always contended that I would rather see Giorme in the lineup. And I think Buck Showalter values Giorme greatly because he sees that defensive impact. Plus, Giorme is a guy that is giving you great at-bats, even if he's not going to hit many home runs, although he did hit one this week. He's a guy that's going to get his hits, but more importantly, he's going to draw his walks. He's going to work counts. He's just going to be a functional player in your lineup. He's probably the best bunter on this team as well. Really good situational hitter. So I look at Guillaume for this roster, and I love that he's getting all this time. And, and I love that Travis Jankowski gets a little bit of run and has his own little role now as the defensive replacement and the pinch runner. Uh, he'll get a start on a, on a doubleheader. Um, but... There is another level that this team can actually hit if they can get some more production out of one more bat in that DH-type spot. And it's up to one of those guys, I think J.D. or Dom, to grab it, or eventually you got to leave the door open for somebody from the minor leagues or for a trade to come in and, and to take this team to the next level. And so I look at the minors, and I see Nick Plummer as a guy who could replace a, a Dominic Smith in that role of being the left-handed option. He's not going to play first base necessarily, but he'll give you another outfield option and he's got some pop in his bat. He's a prospect that I think is MLB ready. You have Daniel Polka, one of my favorites right now because he just seems like a full hero on the surface. He's this just hulking dude who's been mashing home runs at Syracuse. So Polka is another option. That's why I love the Robinson Cano DFA so much because it opened the door for these other guys to get opportunities. And right now the first two up should absolutely be JD and Dom. But if you look up through May into June and neither of them has really grabbed the hold of this job, it might be time to start to explore some other avenues to improve this team. Although, look, if they remain undefeated through May leading into June, you're not going to want to touch anything. You know, you're just going to let this team play it out. But there's going to be injuries as well. Brandon Nimmo sprained an ankle today. Um, I'm sure it's not going to really be an injury that will keep him out of the lineup for more than a day. If he is out of the lineup at all, I'm actually even – 
I'm drawing a Blake here. If they even got removed from that game at the end of the day, I'm sure the ankle will swell up, um, but they have a day off on Monday. So we, we'll see what happens there. Injury will open opportunity for other players, but just to kind of land the point here, when it comes to those two guys, JD and Dom, JD's hitting the screws right now. Um, Dom looks a little bit lost up there. So I'd like to see JD get a little bit more run. Anyway, uh, on tomorrow's show, I will preview what lies ahead against the Washington Nationals. As always, thank you for listening. Make sure you follow, rate, and review wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Finkelstein Ryan. Follow the show at Locked On Mets. Thank you for making Locked On Mets your first listen every day. Now, for your second listen, check out Locked On MLB, hosted by Paul Francis Sullivan. Locked On MLB is where you want to go to catch up on everything going on in Major League Baseball. You can follow Locked On MLB wherever you get podcasts.